Our second reading this morning comes from the Gospel according to St. Luke. It's in the seventh chapter and begins at the 36th verse. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And a woman in the city, who was a sinner, having learned that he was eating in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of ointment. She stood behind Jesus at his feet, weeping, and began to bathe his feet with her tears and to dry them with her hair. Then she continued kissing his feet and anointing them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw it, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and, who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Jesus spoke up and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, he replied, speak. A certain creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debts for both of them. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the greater debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has bathed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which were many, have been forgiven. Hence she has shown great love. But the one to whom little is forgiven loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. But those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this that even forgets, forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God indeed. I'd like to... Um, share something with you this morning. It's going to seem a little out of place. I'll explain later, but it's a prayer. It's a prayer I found this week, and I let us pray it together, shall we? The Lord be with you. Let us pray. O Lord, remember not only the men and women of good will, but also those of ill will. But do not remember all of the suffering they have inflicted upon us. Instead, remember the fruits we have borne because of this suffering, our fellowship, our loyalty to one another, our humility, our courage, our generosity, the greatness of heart that has grown from this trouble. When our persecutors come to be judged by you, let all of these fruits that we have borne be their forgiveness. Amen. Now, I will admit, that's a weird way to start a sermon. It's a, a prayer without context, and, and it doesn't make a lot of sense when I just read it to you cold like that. Let me give you its background now. This prayer was found in the clothing of a dead child. That child was, or her body, was found at Ravensbrück concentration camp in the north of Germany, following the camp's liberation by the Russian army in April of 1945. That's where that prayer comes from. 
almost every Sunday of my life, because I'm only slightly older than that green book that's been in our hymns and, or, hymn, or hymn holders and now because of its age is falling apart just like I am. But almost every Sunday of my life, I've sought God's forgiveness of my sins as defined in that green hymnal. I've been taught that this forgiveness found in that Lutheran liturgy can be found out of the love of God, the love of God that is given to me as I confess my sins and God offers forgiveness for me. Nowadays, all these years later, when I join you in our time of confession, when I'm standing here at this altar at faith, and I hear your voices and mine echoing with one another, making the same noises and the words of confession, I have to admit to you, confession has become something of a habit to me. I've got the words memorized. I can do it with my eyes closed. Maybe you're like that too. When I come to our time of confession, and there's that pregnant time of silence that seems to go on forever and ever, and that silence is intended for the reflection on my activities that wouldn't have been the way God would have appreciated during the past week, I sometimes wonder if I really have any sins to confess to God. I have to struggle to find the words and the examples. Now, I don't come before you haunted by some dreadful acts I've done in the last seven days, you know. Well, I, I ask you not to ask my family who's seated back there because they could probably give you a list, a real long list of those things I've done, but I don't have a lot of sense of my personal sin that I'm just anxious to put before the Lord. Yes, of course I know, and I'm fully aware that I've not pleased God with all the things that I've done. I've not pleased God with all the words I have spoken. I have not pleased God with some of the attitudes I've expressed as my days have gone by. There are, from my lips, always some lies, some faking of liking things when I really don't. You know, things like that. And I must say I am self-centered to a degree. I worry about my own self and my family's well-being. What with today's crazy gas prices once again and the cost of just about everything else going up, connected to that, no end in sight. And you worry about how you're going to make ends meet next week, next month, next year. It's hard not to. So in that sense, I'm self-centered as well. I mean, I trust God to take care of me. I really do. And I trust God to take care of all those things I worry about as well. But doubt about my future is in the back of my mind all the time. What if? What if I can't provide? What if there isn't anything to provide? Stuff like that. There are other things too I must confess. I'll do them out loud today. And it's maybe strange to hear from a pastor, but I know I don't read the Bible as much as I should. Oh, I read the Bible, but not enough, not enough. I don't pray as much as I should. Yes, I pray, I write prayers, you'll hear some this morning, but not enough. <laughs> and I don't help, as, I'll help others as much as I really could. I find myself busy or sometimes I find excuses. And these failings are with me all the time. They're, they're daily, they're weekly, they're all the time. I can't shake them. And because they're with me all the time, they no longer particularly make me feel guilty. 
You know, they're just part of the noise of my brain, at least most of the time. And it's always good to know, it's really good to know that even if I don't know some of the sins that I've committed by omission or commission, our gracious God will forgive all those errors of my life which I don't even have an idea I committed. In fact, it could be that I'm right now moving in some real bad directions, but I don't even know it. God and his wisdom will set me on a, on a better track, I pray. But for now, he forgives me and warms my heart in that direction. So having a loving, forgiving God made known to us through Jesus, the Christ, is always a, a strengthening and a, a buttressing and a welcoming thought. It's always something I have cherished. God's forgiveness is graciously given out of his great love for you and for me too. But the question we are asked today is, how much do I love? And and don't misunderstand, it's not all about Mark. Put that in your own mind. How much do I love? It's a question for each of us. Jesus, in today's reading from Luke, seems to tell us quite clearly If I can summarize for him, he says, the amount of love that I demonstrate should be directly proportional to how much I've been forgiven. That's a sentiment we don't hear enough, I don't think. I certainly don't say it enough, so I'll say it again. The amount of love that I demonstrate should be directly proportional to how much I have been forgiven. Look at the list I've been forgiven. Mark has. Consider your own list. And now, how much love should you go and, and serve others with? Wow. It's a shaking thought. I think it's a, a fundamental thought of who Christ wishes us to be. Well, at this point, of course, we could go into a long discussion of what love is. And we could address questions like, how do I love? And how do I demonstrate love to others? And do I not show love because... I don't really know what love is in Jesus' definition. Or is something more needed in the way that I express my love? Can I do it better? We can do a sermon on every one of those questions. But let's set them all aside. Let's go in a different direction this morning. Let's go in this direction. By example, I have learned that the greatest fault that any of us can have is when we become concerned most about me. And again, I'm not talking about Mark. I'm talking about self-centered concern that any one of us can fall prey to. You know what it sounds like. It sounds like I am the center of the world or all you people are simply to circle around me and make my life happy. And when that doesn't happen, it's not my fault. You are to blame, right? And much of the time, I don't even want you around. You're in my way. I can't receive your love because then I'm obligated to you. (laughs) And if there is anything I wish to avoid, it is being obligated to someone else. Unless it's to my advantage. Ever have similar thoughts? Ever? We may even reject another person's love and attention because... We don't believe that we deserve that love. So while you crave love and attention, and God made you that way, 
You cannot accept it because you think somehow that you're unworthy. You're not up to snuff, as we used to say in the old days. Wow, what a tragic thought. How tragic. I would think that we really don't have to talk about what love is or how to demonstrate it. We pretty well know intuitively what love is, and we know what the Bible teaches. It's preached here week after week, all year long. We come with you know, metaphorical antennae to know how to love. And we have a built-in yearning to want to be loved. God has made us that way. We know that. Consider, consider the people we heard about in this morning's gospel lesson. We heard about a sinful woman. She was known to her neighbors as that sinful woman. Not a lot of friends, it doesn't seem. But she does some outrageous things to Jesus. She barges into an invitation-only dinner, and then she bursts into tears. She undoes her long hair, and, and she wipes Jesus' feet with her tears and her hair, and then pours on some kind of ointment that she has brought with her. She must have known what she was about to do ahead of time. Simon the Pharisee, who invited Jesus to this dinner, simply wanted to have a, well, a nice meal with his buddies. And he wanted to have some conversation with this new traveling guru who's come to town. His name was Jesus. This Pharisee must have learned that Jesus had some interesting insights into life and God and many other things. So why not have him to dinner? Why not have him over for a meal? He might be entertaining. Simon, well, Simon got more than he bargained for that evening. He was given the opportunity to feast on a demonstration of love which to him didn't seem much like love at all. He got nourished with a lesson about love that he had never, ever thought about before. He ended up coming to know his own sin in a new way. He came to know for the first time his Savior. And I would hope he came to actively love others as he had never loved before. That last part's my speculation. Simon, at the beginning of this story, considered himself better than other people, especially those people he thought to be flagrant sinners over there. You know, like that sinful woman who came in off the streets. He didn't think he needed forgiveness for anything in particular. All that he wanted was a little polishing of his moral and ethical lifestyle. Simon lived by rules. Those rules in his time were called the law. And if nothing changed for Simon, he would die by those rules. Absolutely die for those rules. What Simon needed was this loving, yes, loving um, confrontation with Jesus. He needed to face the Savior of the world who loved all people, every political party, religious affiliation, and social group. Jesus had no boundaries. He found out, did Simon, that he was living in a sterile world of his own construction. Like, well, maybe a little bit like that bubble boy we heard about in the news many, many years ago. Simon the Pharisee was separated from God's reality by a bubble of his own making. Now, it's true. After this 
vignette that we read today and have considered. We don't know what happened to Simon the Pharisee. After his dinner party was probably blown up by Jesus' comments to his host, we never hear about Simon again. However, there were a lot of other one-time Pharisees who became members of the early church. They became followers of Jesus. When confronted by the egotistical notion that somehow they could please God all by themselves by following the rules perfectly, they came to see their sin and they came to see the gospel according to Jesus. No doubt these ex-Pharisees wept as much as that woman did who had her sins forgiven when they realized their sin and then they too rushed out to show God's love which comes through Christ. And they expressed that love by going out to offer service to their neighbors. Speaking of Pharisees, there was another former Pharisee His name was Paul. He penned a passionate letter to the people of the church located in Galatia. In the portion of the second chapter of that letter, which Heather read for us this morning, Paul reminds us that we are not justified by works, his words. We're not justified by the stuff we do. We're not made right if we do things according to some list. We are justified, we are made right with God only by the faithful act lovingly given for our sake by Jesus Christ on the cross. That way and that way alone. We cannot profess Christ as a savior of the world and then decide we must perform a certain number of loving acts in order to be saved. Those two things cannot coexist. If that were to be the case, we would have no need for Jesus at all. We can just go out and fulfill the list. We would have concluded that we can be justified and saved simply by filling up our personal scorecard with good deeds, right? That's all we need. We don't need Jesus. If that were the case, as Paul said, then Jesus died for nothing. Nothing at all. Paul, again, a former Pharisee, also characterized this thinking as replacing that long list called the Law of Moses with another long list, the accounting of of the stuff we have done, our good works. Does this mean that good, loving works, serving others, in the name of Jesus Christ should be neglected or put aside as somehow unimportant? Absolutely not. Remember, in another place, Jesus sent his disciples out with the following command. He said these words, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out the demons. And he finished by saying this, freely you received, freely give. Now, what do you and I freely receive in Paul's mind? What is that? It's simple. What we receive freely from God's heart is the love of God. That's what we receive. Our Heavenly Father has given us His Holy Word. And that was to teach us about His loving nature and to foster a loving relationship between us. The Father has also given us His Son to show us in word and in deed what love looks like in the world we live in. We have also received the Holy Spirit, which prompts us to lovingly be compassionate to those who suffer. 
having received those loving gifts and much, much more, we must consider our response to Jesus' command in the second half of that sentence, and that is to freely give. The Master Jesus Christ does not speak in squishy terms. He sends us to freely give the love to others that God has freely given to us. Pass it on, in essence. So I ask you again this morning, how much do you love? Are are you still trying to please God by the things that you are doing and the list that you're making? Are you still trying to measure up to some kind of standard so that God will love you? Are you still turned in upon yourself, seeing only yourself, believing the world is supposed to make you happy? And are you displeased when the world fails you? I pray the answers to all of these questions is no for each and every one of you. Here's something to contemplate, maybe something to hang on to in the days that come. It could be a fable, it could be true, but it is said that in a dream, Martin Luther found himself being attacked by Satan. The devil unrolled a long scroll in front of Brother Martin's face, and it contained a list of all of Luther's sins. On reaching the end of the scroll and reading it to him, Luther asked the devil, or having heard read to him by the devil, Luther asked the devil, is that all you got? No, came the devil's reply, and he produced a second scroll, put that in front of Luther's face, and read all of that to him. And after the second was done, he produced a third. But finally, the devil had run out of his own writing. And Luther said to him, you've forgotten something. Quickly write these words on each of those three long scrolls. Write this. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sins. Hmm. Brothers and sisters, take a look at Jesus. Take a look at him. All he got for caring, helping, serving, listening to, and providing for others, the only profit he had for doing all that he did for you and for me was the cross. That was his payment. And brothers and sisters, as a result, and out of Jesus' great love, you and I are forgiven everything that needs forgiveness in our lives. Everything. Remember the last line, too, of this gospel lesson. It's one, like confession, that appears in our liturgy, except it appears at the end. They're really connected. But it's at the very end. It's the last sentence we hear Every time we come together, remember what it was? Go in peace. Go in peace. We go in peace, sisters and brothers, with a purpose. We do that to share love with our neighbor. That's how we serve the Lord. And we serve our neighbor in proportion to the love Christ has poured out on you. That's a lot of love. So we've got a lot of service ahead of us. Thanks be to God. He's given us a mission to share with him. Let me conclude now by doing that which we've already done. Let us pray again the prayer found at Ravensbrook on that young girl's body. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. O Lord, remember not only the men and women of goodwill, 
but also those of ill will. But do not remember all of the suffering they have inflicted upon us. Instead, remember the fruits we have borne because of this suffering. Our fellowship, our loyalty to one another, our humility, our courage, our generosity, the greatness of heart that has grown from this trouble. When our persecutors come to be judged by you, let all of these fruits that we have borne be their forgiveness. And may this prayer be a model for our lack of self-centeredness and our focusing on the other who needs the love of God. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.